Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Shalati. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We are not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, is it ever too late to come out? Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we can both name and identify all 50 states in the U.S. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben has been to Michigan, and I have not. Right? Super crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Big difference. Charlie, why have you never been to Michigan? Uh, I don't really have ties to Michigan, and it's, I don't know, I just never went to Michigan. But my mom just married, about a year ago, got remarried, and he's from Michigan. A Michigander? So she's been to Michigan now. A Michigan, is that what we call him? Yeah, a Michigander, someone from Michigan. So I went for a wedding, and Michigan is just very flat. Well, really? In Detroit, yeah. Well, the whole and Midwest probably is. They have these things called Michigan lefts, where instead of turning left at the intersection, you go through the intersection, and then there's a roundabout. Oh, is it like a Texas turnaround? I don't quite know what that is. Have you been to Texas? Sort of. I've, I've been to El Paso a number of times. Does that count? Not according to some people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's your favorite state to recognize? To recognize on the map? Missouri. It's my home state. <laughs> With the little thing dangling down yeah, the side? Got, it's called the boot heel. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. What's yours? My favorite. Arizona. <laughs> it is a very lovely looking state. I don't know. I never really thought about it. I think, yeah, tec- I, I think Texas has a nice shape. It does. I feel like Kentucky's kind of fun, too. Oklahoma. With, anyway. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't stop. <laughs> 50 <Okay>. nifty. <laughs> we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives. So today we're joined by Megan Decker. Hi. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, Megan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I decided years ago that the most defining feature for myself was that I'm a disciple of Christ. So that's probably number one. I've been married for 40 years. I have five daughters, five adult daughters. I have 15 grandchildren, and I'm all in engaged in, in the church. I'm also gay. I've been attracted to women my whole life and one particular amazing man. Okay. So, Megan, how old are you, if you don't mind my asking? I'm 60. Well, you are definitely not the oldest person we've had on the podcast, <laughs> although that is more orbits around the sun than most people who've right. been on the podcast. Who is the oldest? It's probably... Um, Richard Bushman. Yeah, Richard Bushman. Mm. Yeah, by far. I think he's in his 80s. Yeah. Anyway, we can yeah. Google it, but <laughs> not, not more. <laughs> and Megan, where are you from? I'm from Michigan. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, actually, <laughs> did, did, you, did you set me up? <laughs> which, is why, which is why we talked about Michigan. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's where I live now. Um, and, and Ben, I'm impressed. You had all of the terminology right. Michiganders and, you know, you got the whole thing. Well, Michiganders is a good word to know. It's a great word. Is, yeah. is a female Michigander a Michigoose? I think we're all Michiganders. I think, yeah, <laughs> Michigan. I think like a goose and a gander, that. you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I think, isn't the gander, wait, is the gander a male goose? Yeah, a gander's mm-hmm. male goose. And it also is like, take a gander. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this podcast is about is about geese, apparently. <laughs> now let, let's talk about Megan. So Megan, you're, you're 60. You came out later in life. Help us understand like what led to that process. Like Walk us through when, when you started coming out and, and how you got there. Okay. I may need to backtrack a little bit and give you a little bit of the backstory. So Let's hear I it. Was, I want to hear it all. Okay. Yeah. I was a teenager in the 70s. I actually joined. I'm a convert. I joined the church. And I was, I was looking to find God. And so I was, I was Catholic, but I felt like there, he wanted me to go to another place. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was baptized, I just felt like that brought me into a relationship with him that that I treasured. And so as I was also 
you know, growing into adolescence and realizing that everything I heard, all those quotes, Charlie, that you had on your phone, I heard in real time, sometimes oh sitting gosh. in the conference center. Oh, and so I... Well, the tabernacle. Was... I'm sorry. Yeah, the tabernacle. <laughs> you're exactly right. I, uh, I felt that there, it, it was an either or choice. I could either be in the church, um, but there was no place in the church, from what I heard, for anyone who experienced same-sex attraction or who was gay. Yeah. And uh, so I buried that under a mountain of denial and shame and uh, fear. What did that do to your heart? Well, I had a lot of periods of depression and suicide, suicidal ideation. I actually ended up writing a book for Desert Book called Reaching for Hope. And the funny thing was when I wrote the book, after I wrote the book, I thought, I, you know, I've talked about all of these different triggers and things. And I thought, I really don't know why I experienced mm. major, major depression. It must be postpartum, which explained depression after I'd had babies, but not all of the years before. So... Huh. So it was it was pretty brutal. Uh, that shame created a narrative in my mind that went through all of my life experiences. So when I when I taught a class or when I you know presented at a women's conference or anything like that, and people would come up and say, you know, that was amazing or you're such a role model. The narrative in my mind was constantly, you don't know me. You yeah. don't really know me. And if you did, you wouldn't say that. Wow. So, um, Megan, you, were, you, were, you published a book through Deseret Book right. and you were speaking at Women's Conference and all oh, of this. No, no, no. That's like Stake Women's Conference. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, still cool. It was, it was still actually a big thing. kind yeah. of before they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all this is going on in the background. You're thinking if people really knew me, they yeah. wouldn't give me these compliments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I taught, I mean, I, I taught early morning seminary for several years. I taught institute. I was an ordinance worker. I was Relief Society president a couple of times. All of those things, I I still felt I was not, you know, I was fundamentally flawed. So I was doing all the things to try to please God and yet knowing that innately there was something about me that was not right, that I was broken in ways that probably were, you know... Were, Irreparable. Were, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a couple questions. Mm-hmm. First off, I, I think it's important to note that, like, I, I'm, I'm, well, I guess I'm just assuming that there were no like outside factors that would point to any of this in your life. You know, like, like no one was like, oh, she, she might be gay, she might be oh, no. struggling. You know, no, because because no. you were successful, mm-hmm. a, a saint with a family and a husband, and like on a path. And and I just every time this happens, I think it's so fascinating because. I always say you you really never know who around you might be gay. Like mm-hmm. you just don't know. And people are like, well, yeah, you kind of know. And I'm like, no, you you really don't. Yeah. And it's just it's fascinating to think about you being. What did you come out? Like how recently did you come out? Oh, like uh, about a month ago. Oh my goodness. Pu- publicly, yeah. But, so like yes. I- incredibly recent. <laughs> we'll get yeah. there, Charlie. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm jumping <laughs> yeah. ahead. But like 58 years old, 15 grandchildren. You know, I just think that's so interesting to to point out and then also i wanted to ask you what the denial looked like for you i it was it was internal i didn't acknowledge i melanie Beatty writes about this in codependent no more and she says denial Mm -hmm. is kind of a shock absorber for the soul it allows us to deny the reality of something even when it's right in front of us because i couldn't 
even though I knew from the time, you know, from the time I was a young adolescent, I was absolutely attracted to women. And that continued on through, you know, through all of these decades. But it was not something that I could admit because of the ramifications of it. Was it something that you were like aware of and couldn't admit? Or were you just like, you couldn't actually see what was happening? I don't think, you know, I read... I found Laurie Campbell's book, um, Born That Way, like, I don't know, it's like 25 years old. Mm -hmm. I found that and I just, I bought, I bought one copy and then I went back and bought six more because I thought, I told myself, this is such a beautiful book about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And, and underneath that was, oh my gosh, I want to read about somebody like me. But, but consciously, I thought, well, if I ever know anyone who's gay, I want to know how to, you know, be her friend. That's um, so interesting. I, it, oh, it's an amazing phenomenon. That well, ben, I was, I could, I could consciously not be aware of it when it was pounding away underneath and filling me with shame, mm-hmm. even though I didn't consciously acknowledge it. It, it sounds like that was kind of uh, a defense mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. It was a coping mechanism. Yeah, because. There was when I was on BYU campus, my presence violated the honor code. When I stepped on, mm. you know, when I stepped, yeah, put my feet on the on the campus, just my existence violated it, and so it couldn't. It wasn't something I could acknowledge. I'm so glad you were talking about the denial, and I love the way you phrased it because that's actually something that I have been trying to wrap my own brain around. Because I, I look at my past, and and I feel like what you're describing is very similar to my own experience. I remember I went to this like, like support conference thing once my, my freshman year because a religion professor was talking about it. And it was like for people who experience same sex attraction. And I was just, he was talking about, and I was obsessed with the idea of going. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to California on my mission and there's gay people in California. So I'm going to need to know how to teach them. And that's why I need to go to this conference. And I, and I like believed that, but at the same time, I knew that that was not why I was so interested in this conference. And it's just, I've never been able to fully explain how the denial works and how the cognitive dissonance, how mm-hmm. real that is. And I just, I like the way you said that. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Megan, were those wasted years for you? No, I don't think so. I think they were difficult years for me and my family because of the depression. Because of you know my inability to deal with what I was feeling in in a in any sort of healthy I mean there were a lot of good years though as I look back I can connect the dots between periods where I was really attracted to someone and I had and that went into major depression but between that they were they were great years yeah my family was was happy I was serving in ways that made me happy and and helped me to feel like I was I was doing good and pleasing God even though there was this underlying narrative of not good enough. So there were times when you would feel attracted to a woman while you were married to your husband obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're saying those are the times when that that shame would increase the depression? Yeah. Well, yeah. Can can I like pry and ask about mm-hmm. what that felt like to be married to a husband and then feel shame from being attracted to another woman. There was a dissonance because I was, my husband and I have a really good marriage. As a matter of fact, if a letter, a term that describes attracted to women and one particular guy, that would, that would be how I would identify. 
And and that's really common. I've 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 been doing a writing project, and I interviewed thirty five women in the church who who are you know experience same sex attraction, identify as all sorts of different things, lesbian, gay, I am what I am. But many of them who are married, you know, have the same experience of of this this uh, situation specific, legitimate attraction. And so I, I had that, and yet I also had this, this really magnetic pull towards someone. And, and I wouldn't even, I, I don't know, that, I mean, it wasn't like, a, like a, a, a lot of sexual energy. It was just a, a strong attachment, a strong pull. And I could feel that towards, you know, towards someone, and yet also feel a deep and profound connection to my husband at the same time. Do you wish you would come out sooner? I think I think at the time I came out, so it was about seven years ago, and I was just sitting in my living room, and I th- was thinking about someone, and, and I literally got up and walked into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and said, I think it's time to admit that you're attracted to women. And even then, it was in the second person, you know, you, you are attracted to women. Because you weren't saying it to you, you were saying it to Megan in the mirror. Exactly. Saying, I am. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And I felt that I, I look back at it now and I think all of our kids were grown and out of the house. I was no longer teaching early morning seminary and trying to prepare every day for that. It was a time when I think it was just, I could now deal with this. Mm-hmm. Life, life had slowed down enough. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it was a time. And I also, I think I also, I had had a girl in my seminary class who was coming with a friend and becoming interested in the church. And she, her parents were a lesbian couple. And so she had talked to me, this was probably in 2001. She had talked to me about the church's attitude. And so I kind of dived in and there, it, the narrative had changed somewhat. It, it, it was more, there was more room than there was in the, in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think, all of these things combined just created a space where I could I could admit that to myself. So, so you had some you'd been thinking about it. You had like this time to to think and and ponder about it. What mm-hmm. happened after you said you are attracted to women to yourself in the mirror? You know, I I'd like to remember everything that happened in the weeks following that, and I don't. Other than at some point, God started pushing me to talk to my husband. And uh, I remember being on, on my hands and knees in my living room, just sobbing and praying and saying, please don't require this of me. And he did. And so I decided I was going to talk to him. And this, you know, I mean, my husband was the last person, David, we'll give him a name. David was the last person I wanted to talk to because I felt that it would be so painful for him to, to hear that. But Christmas, at Christmas that year, all of our kids were gone away to in-laws we were sitting on the floor in front of the Christmas tree, and it was just this sweet moment that I picked on Christmas Eve to hit him with this. And it was hard. I think it was hard because I didn't anticipate his fears. I was kind of wrapped up in my own mind about what this meant and what I was afraid of. But I, I didn't say to him, I chose you and I still choose you. I am still 100% committed to the church. Nothing's going to change because I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what it meant. I had no context for having seen anyone who was active in the church and married and gay. 
And so I didn't know what it meant. And a few days later, one of my daughters in Utah had a medical event and I had to leave. And when I was in Utah, I, I, I remember walking by a Starbucks and thinking, so am I going to drink coffee now? What does this mean? I don't, I don't know. And I started reading Lisa Diamond, Dr. Lisa Diamond's sexual fluidity, because I honestly didn't know if my, what I felt, my commitment, the commitment to my marriage that I felt was was authentic or if it was a continuation of my denial and just something I wasn't ready to face yet. Mm-hmm. And when I read her book, that's a really um, honest, that is so that, that's honest. really honest. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we, there was nobody to see that did this. I mean, if, if, if I was going to stay in my marriage and stay in the church, I felt like that was something that nobody else was doing. I felt completely alone. So as I read her book and learned more about about sexual fluidity and realized, and I want to be really clear here because I think her work has been misinterpreted to support the idea that you can change your sexuality. Nothing in her research says that. That is not possible. But what it does support is that from a fixed orientation, for me of being attracted to women, there can be a possible expansion to feel legitimate and authentic attraction that is situation specific to one particular person. Mm-hmm. And I recognized, especially, you know, that was seven years ago, recognized reading that and recognized over the last seven years that, that that's the situation in our case. And it's like trying to catch a falling star. So I don't think that's something anyone should decide to make happen. You can't make it happen. Mm-hmm. It's it's unanticipated and not it's not possible to force that yeah and, and thank you for, for sharing your story and also realize and also acknowledging that your story can't and shouldn't be everyone's story thank you so much i should have started that at the very beginning yeah this is there is nothing off the rack about being a, a gay member of the church it is all customized tailored to fit and my my experience is absolutely just mine i've thought back because I was, I dated a lot, and you know, guys would tell me they loved me, and I never responded. I love you. You were like, you gross. <laughs> no, I, like, I would just oh, say thanks. I, that's I used exactly to say what thanks. I said. <laughs> I would say I said thank too. you. That's so sweet. But no, I never because I never felt it. And and then and I was planning to just go through school and and get a career. And when I met David, it just shifted. And. You know, and if I'd married the guy that I was dating before him, who thought was we were we would get married, my my life story would be completely different. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. yeah, I think it's important to to note this isn't this is not a track that anyone can just choose to follow. It's all individual. Yeah. So there's something I want to dig into a little bit more. So you're in your early fifties, and you feel God inspiring you and prompting you to come out to your husband. Like in retrospect, why do you think God wanted you to do that? I think the effect on our marriage was profound because, you know, look at this. I had been living a life where I had so many walls up that that were that were self-protection. I was never completely honest with myself, so I couldn't be honest with him. I was not, uh, you know, I, I mean, neither of us felt safe, really. We had a good marriage, but it was careful. And as that came down, as those walls came down, it changed our relationship in, in a really profound way. I, I, I think, I, Ben, I've told you before about, I, I never had, took anesthesia. Like, I'd, I'd had a couple of surgical procedures where I talked the surgeon into 
only using local when they would always use general because I didn't want to have that uninhibited moment of coming out of out of general anesthesia. And you I didn't af- even know why. You were afraid you were going to come out. Exactly. Oh, my even goodness. Even though I didn't admit that there was anything to come out about. But there was this hidden, there was this part of me that was always on guard, uh-huh. always protecting me, even though I wasn't conscious of it. Yeah, so and, much that you would go through extreme physical pain yeah. rather than risk saying something that you weren't ready to say. Yeah, yeah. My doctors thought I was a rock star and I was just afraid. Wow. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. So after I think that was the place to start. My husband is remarkable, too. He is the kind of man who can. I mean, the first response, he's not super proud of. We were both. Uh, we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know what it meant. So, you know, he, he was loving and kind, but we weren't. We just there was no framework. There's no context for us to know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And we've really grown into that. So a couple of years, well, probably four years later, I was still dealing with a lot of shame and still dealing with, you know, up and down in mood and things like that. So four years later, this is like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I and I was reading some of Brene Brown's work on shame. And she says that shame grows in secrecy, silence and isolation. And the antidote to shame is to speak our truth and be met with empathy and compassion. And I that struck me the way, you know, the way. The verse in James struck Joseph Smith. It just went right to my heart. And I felt that I needed to find somebody. I needed to identify a couple of people to talk to. And I prayed about that and I talked to them. And one was a friend who, you know, would just sit in my class. And when I was teaching, if she was there because she knew and she, she received it beautifully. And when I taught, having one person there who really saw me, got rid of that imposter feeling, mm-hmm. that feeling of I'm just up here pretending to be something I'm not. Because she knew the truth about me, I was I was much more at ease. The other person I talked to was my stake president, and that was not because he was a priesthood leader, but he was a good friend of our family. We Our kids were good friends. We'd gone on vacations together. My husband was serving as his counselor, and I just I just felt like I wanted to talk to him. As I was leaving his office... He said something to me about, you know, I trust you and I don't know, I admire you, something like that. And that was the first time anyone had ever said anything like that to me in recent, you know, in decades where I didn't, I didn't dismiss it with that narrative of you don't know me. Mm-hmm. If you knew me, you wouldn't say that. I could actually hear what he said and believe it. And so those, just even those two people made a huge difference. Yeah. Megan, as you're speaking, this is resonating so much with me, even though our lives are so different. This this idea that there's this thing about you that you hate about yourself that you are ashamed of. And then once people know, it's just so freeing. Yeah. And and this like the beauty of allowing yourself to be seen, but also to be well received being seen. Mm-hmm. Because if, if we let people see us and they reject us, that just makes things even worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just confirms all of those damaging negative narratives. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really impressed by how intentional you were with all this. You felt a need to come out. You prayed about it and you identified who those people were. And then those people helped you helped you heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And I think even beyond that, you were courageous as you sought out resources and you looked at them critically. And I, and I think like that's a skill that I wish every young person trying to figure things out, come out, c- c- could like if they could pair critical thinking with 
faith and in personal revelation. It's just so beautiful the way you were able to look at resources, read it, take what resonated with you and realize that there is spectrum that like you're going to weed your way through things. I just I I listening to you is so refreshing. It, it's amazing. Well, thank you. Go, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I'm not even dismissing that with, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that because we're, uh, I'm feeling pretty uh, exposed no, it's so, here. It's, so. well, it's just, it, to me, it's just so healthy. It's so healthy, the approach you took, even if it was at 50, however many years old, like you did a great job. I was really fortunate to have friends that, you know, and I talked to a few more friends uh, subsequent to that, to have friends who were completely supportive and uh, and also I early on, I found voices of hope and started to see that there were some some people like me. And that was really meaningful. And I reached out to some of those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's 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 funny because I know you probably get the same thing where people hear you. They they don't know who to talk to. And so they find you and they reach out to you. Well, that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and everyone, you know, I just see so much generosity and uh, and willingness to give time and to be available to people in this space. Yeah, yeah that, that's because we know what it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you know, Megan, I remember not too long ago, I had a, a friend who wanted to talk to like a gay woman who was in a mixed orientation marriage. And so I texted you. I said, hey, would you be willing to talk to this person? You said, yes, send me all the lesbians. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, you're one of those people who's been helped. And now you want to do that same thing and, and help people to know that they're not alone as well. Yeah. I mean, really, my experience is uh, is not super common. I think just knowing you're not alone, even if you're not on the same path, even if you're not even headed in the same direction, just knowing that there's somebody out there who's willing to listen and care about you and and shares some of the same experience is really powerful. So I'm thinking you're 50. How old were you when you came out to your husband? Uh, 53. So you're 53 when you come out to your husband and then you wait about four years and you tell a few more people, mm-hmm. you still have children and grandchildren. Like, yeah, how, I do. how did you go about telling them like grandma's gay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually that hasn't happened yet. Oh, <laughs> not, not to the grandkids. Um, well, we have I'm, a lot of four year olds who listen to this. Podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm letting that rest in the hands of my, my children. Uh huh. And and I don't I don't want to get into that too much because that's really my kids' story, you know, uh-huh. the, how how that was for them. Well, bring them on but next I will, time. Yeah, I will share a couple of things. One was one of my daughters said after after I had talked to her, she said I knew I had friends who had come out, and every one of them left her marriage and left the church, and that was the only pattern I saw, and so she was pretty sure that was what was going to happen. Um, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that. And I didn't respond to that fear in, in the very first moment when I talked to them. So I think both with my husband, although things were a little more iffy with my husband, because we really didn't know what was going to happen. But by the time I talked to my kids, I I was pretty settled in where I was. And I should have just started out right away saying, I know this is scary. I want you to know what my intentions are. Um, you have the right to respond to this however you want. I've had a lot more time to get used to it than you have. But I want you to know I am I am committed to staying in the church and in our family. And I think that would have made it a lot easier for them. And and really, it, it took them, I mean, it took a few years before 
I was probably willing to, to be more open about this earlier, but I wanted to give them time to adjust to that. But I talked to a daughter, one of my daughters, I talked to them all about a year ago about me being more public. And one of them who had, had was in the midst of treatment for breast cancer, and they traveled a lot in between treatments. And she said, you know, I, when I meet a new friend, there's a point at which I realize that if she doesn't know about my cancer, she can't really know me. And she said, I, I understand that that would be the same for you. Yeah. You know, if people don't know about this, they can't really know you. And not everybody needs to know me. I've actually, since I've been more open generally, I've gotten some pushback from friends my age who just say, why? Why do you even have to talk about this? You know, you're, I mean, you're almost through mortality. And oh, so, please, you're sexy. You've got, <laughs> but, you've got but it's like, left. why, why didn't really, you just bury yeah, this for you, a couple more years, take it to stuff. the grave? Yeah, I can, a couple, I, I can like, pass like 40 this more years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why do I need to talk about it? And I loved her observation because it really is they in and if if you don't know this about me, you don't really know me. And maybe everyone doesn't need to really know me, but I I have had the opportunity for several years to um, be engaged in in church service, which really gives me an opportunity to just constantly teach and bear testimony of the atonement. And if I can't talk about this in some way, that this is the fountain of my faith. Mm-hmm. It's it's it it has created so much. It's brought me to Christ. It's brought me to fall at his feet and come to know him in ways nothing you know nothing else in my life has. And I'd love to be able to talk about that freely. And I couldn't until a few weeks ago when I really did become more open with many, many, many people about this. Yeah. Megan, I have a couple of thoughts. You know, what I'm hearing you say isn't saying like being gay is like having cancer. What I'm no, hearing, what I'm thank hear, you for what, clarifying that. What I'm hearing you say is there are, all of us have parts of us that if people don't understand that, they don't understand us. Yeah. They're and, formative experiences. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what a gift it is to the people in our lives and to ourselves when we allow ourselves to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And, and you said this thing that, that has really been kind of ringing in my head for the last 10 minutes. Uh, you said that you know, before you came out to your husband, you were, you were just like praying to God, like, please don't require this of me. And, you know, and then as we've talked and looked at the fruits of, of that inspiration, you know, we know exactly what God required it of you. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it made you a healthier person and it helped you have healthier relationships with your family too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I didn't make this connection until much later, but I had been praying, I had kind of had an inspired prompting to pray to be healed from depression, which I'd, I'd long ago accepted that, that this mood disorder was going to be part of my life, you know. And so I went ahead and prayed for that. And I think that opened the door. That was an exercise, a necessary exercise of agency on my part to put into motion all of these things that have brought me to an entirely different place, a healthy place. I, I haven't I haven't struggled with uh, with depression, with suicidal ideation for for several years since uh, since I really initiated that that work of overcoming shame. Yeah, that that was a pivotal uh, a turning point. That's amazing. Cause, so you're saying you exercised faith in this prayer and, and really thought you would be healed from your depression. And then like the key to do that was coming out. Yeah. And and who would have known? Oh no, it was Not an you. entirely you in unanticipated direction to go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's phenomenal. What faith. 
it's reminding me of like this idea. You, you mentioned Brene Brown and, and she has her book Braving the Wilderness and it talks about like moving through ambiguity to mm-hmm. find yourself. And it, it's funny because I mean, that book resonated with me so much. I, I read it right before I was right before I came out to my parents and came out publicly and so have since drawn so many connections to just like stories of faith. And I look at the Book of Mormon and I see people like God asking someone and requiring of them that they they leave their safe comforts and move through a wilderness to get to a promised land. And it seems like that's what you've done. And the wilderness is tricky and scary and takes a lot of prayer and you need like 10 Leahonas to figure out where you're going, (laughs) you know, but, but like, like the story that the, the principles there are of earnestly asking in faith and following personal revelation and you got to a more promised land and that's just exciting like like people are like how do i reconcile my faith with my orientation that's how you do it it's right there yeah i think i'd I'd love to add on to that that when i did do this public coming out just a few a few weeks ago and i did that because i spoke at the north star conference last weekend and that information went out with with my name on it and my picture on it and, uh, Which is a lovely picture, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> my my friend, uh, I, I saw a friend at a party, and she said my sister in law sent this to me. You know, forwarded it to me and said, "Is this your Megan Decker?" And I thought, "Oh my goodness, I have to get ahead of this." And so two days later, I I spoke to our young single adult branch where we're currently serving, and just said, "You know, we're going to be going west. We're going to be gone for a few weeks, and I want to tell you what's going on out there." And by the way, you know, I'm I'm. I'm doing some things in the, you know, to help support people, members of the church who are LGBTQ. And I am also one of those people. And so that was that was kind of my letting my young single adult members know. And then I went home and started just emailing a lot of people. And what was uh, that like to come out to a room of young single adults? It was terrifying, but they were really great. Of course, they're Michiganders. Yeah, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that happened on our 40th anniversary. Wow! And so, Charlie, as you talk about, you know, kind of coming out of the wilderness, I mean, you know, the number 40 years in the wilderness. Exactly. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. The number 40 is symbolic of, you know, completing a great task and moving on to another task. Anyway, it was just it it was interesting for both of us. My husband describes what's happening to me right now with a metaphor. We used to have evening primroses off our desk off our deck in Ohio, and we would have parties where we would have people come over to watch the primroses open. If you've ever seen those, they're just tight, tightly shut until the sun goes down. And they will open in the matter of like 15 seconds, just into a full really? bloom. Yeah, they just go from this That's tight so little, cool. tightly closed bud, and they just kind of untwist and unfold, and they're suddenly, you know, these beautiful, beautiful yellow flowers. And he he keeps describing what's happening in our lives, in my life, as seeing me open up and unfold and just blossom. And I think that feeling of being freed, of being able to breathe, of taking off a corset that has held me tight for the last, for all of my life, and being able to be released and and uh, and just breathe deeply, is is uh, you know what's happened in the last few weeks. That's a really beautiful imagery. I'm just lapping this up. Like I just, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I, I don't really have any questions right now. I'm just marinating in this. Megan, when someone comes out, I often wonder, why now? 
mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in their life. Are they just like, are they tired? Are they desperate? Are they just ready to let go? Is it just because it's Pride Month and everyone's coming out? You know, <laughs> you know, I, I often ask myself, why? And it sounds like more recently, like you came out because you were going to be speaking at the North Star Conference. Are there, I, other, are there other whys? Like, I want to know, like, like why now? Like, like why at 60? Yeah, I would say that I'm speaking at the North Star, or I was speaking at the North Star Conference because it was time. Because it was time for me to come out or to invite others in. I think you use that, that terminology. I talked to Travis Stewart a few months ago and asked him about just, I, I kind of said, I'm ready to do this, but... Now I don't know how. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to do it on Facebook. That's you know. That's so cliche. I mean, that's that, a and that's it's so a millennial thing. Exactly. You should do exactly. it on Snapchat, <laughs> um, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so on. so one. Of, he said a couple of things. One of the things he said was, "You need to identify your pain points and put your efforts there." And I thought, what has kept me from doing it? What's really held me back? And one is respecting my children. And, and their readiness. But the other one was my mom. I'd have to tell my mom. And Ooh. my mom is 98 years old. And I, That's so, older than President Nelson. Yeah. She she went to school with President Nelson. What? Really? Yeah, they're Well, of classmates. course, there are only 100 people on Earth back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. If they, if they had a reunion, it would be the two of them going out to dinner. <laughs> but but I, I identified my mom, my brother, and my mother-in-law as the people that I really had the most fear around because I didn't want, I didn't want to hurt them and I didn't want to be hurt by them. Yeah. But I realized if those three knew, um, those three that I care so much about their reaction, I'm okay with anybody else. And, uh, and Travis also said, you know, you're be aware that you're doing this for you. Ultimately, there may be some good that comes of it. You know, I may be able to help other people. I may be able to write more freely about this. I may be able to do, you know, this kind of thing. But ultimately, it's for me, and and I hope they react well, but I don't control that outcome. And so a couple of days later, I talked to my mom. I actually wrote a letter uh, that I gave to my mom and my brother. That's just asynchronous talking. Exactly. Yeah. It gave her a chance to take a deep breath before she gave me her first response. So I could get maybe second or third response down the road. And uh, anyway, so I think I think the other things, the North Star, the, this podcast, some other writing things that I'm doing right now, I think those are all a reflection of my coming out rather than something that forced it. Mm-hmm. So I love that. That's beautiful. So Megan, it sounds like you were really vulnerable with a lot of people in a very like short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask about what that was like for you. It started out being terrifying. I didn't know whether I was going to throw up or pass out. You could do both. Are you I serious? Yeah. Did you know that in my book, when I wrote the feeling, I said, I didn't know if I was going to throw up or pass out. No kidding. That's the, yeah. I yeah, yeah. like it's, verbatim the words. Uh-huh. And, and I said, I thought I was going to vomit. I wasn't going to pass out though. Oh, okay. <laughs> very strong constitution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So and I remember at one of the people I talked to really early on, I was just terrified. And we were at lunch, which made it even worse because I was, you know, pushing my tofu and black bean sauce just around on the plate, staring at it, which made the the, (laughs) made it even worse. I mean, Um, tofu and black beans will make anyone vomit. (laughs) When she when she responded to me, she said, I think I love you more now than ever, which was incredible that's an incredible response but the other thing i realized is that vulnerability no you've probably used the term vulnerability hangover before and boy that is real when there is silence afterwards 
we just rush to fill that silence with with negative interpretation. And so I was always really grateful when people circled back around like within a day and just checked in and said, hey, I just I want you to know I love you. And anytime I'd love to talk, I'd love to learn more. I'd love to know what this was like for you. That's like the golden question. And so I I think if I were talking to somebody about how can you respond to some to a friend who comes who comes to you and invites you into this sacred ground of their heart, I would say tell them you love them more, now more than ever. Um, and I'd also say come come back the next day and and check in and don't don't have it be a one and done discussion because then they just fill it in with negativity. That's so excellent advice. I just circling back to the shame thing too. Satan's first commandment is to hide. And I think that is when I find myself hiding, that shame comes back again full force. And I think that's why it was so important for me to be able to be really public about it, not just to a couple of people, but if I was in a discussion and and this topic comes up and I don't say anything, I'm hiding again. And shame just shame is right there enveloping me. And so being able to get rid of that feeling of hiding Satan wants us to hide. God wants us to come into community, into unity. All of our covenants bring us into community with each other. And being able to share this part of my life invites others into community with me and creates more unity than when I had walls of, I guess, almost deception up because I was deceiving myself and Mm -hmm. I was deceiving them. And, And that was inherently toxic and destructive. Megan, thank you for sharing all this. I think it's really beautiful and powerful. As I think about my life and people know enough about me, I don't have to talk about myself that much anymore. But, you know, I came out at 23 and that was the right time for me. And then I didn't come out publicly until I was 30. And that was the right time for me, too. Like, I wouldn't want to rewrite any of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, 30 seems kind of late to come out publicly. And, and you know, you, you, you did that at 60. Is there any part of your journey that you would rewrite? In terms of doing this earlier? Yeah. I don't think that I don't think there was a space for it. I don't think I would have had the same options that I do now had I done it 20 years earlier. If I'd done this in my 30s or 40s, I I think we would have seen our choices as more stark. I think I was probably more black and white then too. I mean, I've had to really develop the ability to live with ambiguity and to live with confirmation without explanation. Mm. I can feel that it is the right place for me for me to stay in the church and to continue continue where I am. I felt that confirmation without any explanation of why or what's ahead or anything. But I have had enough experiences now to recognize that my expectation of what the solutions are is very narrow. And and this actually goes back to when I when I was first baptized. I had been Catholic and I in catechism I'd learned this is a gross oversimplification of Catholic doctrine, but my understanding was that babies who were not baptized were in limbo. So they could never go back to heaven. They could never go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And it seems so random and arbitrary to me that one baby, there wasn't a priest nearby, and that baby died and wasn't baptized. And another baby, there happened to be a priest there who could come in and baptize them before they died. And that had eternal consequences. And when the missionaries taught us about baptism for the dead, here was this this completely unexpected solution that satisfied both justice and mercy and just came out of, you know, left field. Who saw that one coming? And it was perfect. And and I feel the same way about this. I, I don't think the solution here is either we're going to have same-sex marriages in the temple 
or everybody's going to be all fixed and everything will be perfect after, you know, after this life. Because this, this feel, this is inherent. This is so deep in me. I never prayed to have it taken away. That was one, probably one difference between, between me and, and you guys. I only prayed thousands of times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. By the time I got to the point where I could actually talk about it, I just, I knew it was ingrained and it's more than a challenge. It's a gift. And, and I've come to really appreciate all of the gifts that come with this. So it's not something I want to lose. So I think if we look at these, you know, here are these two fixes that we see with our mortal reasoning. God has a resolution. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And I, I know it's going to be perfect and it's going to be creative and it's going to be obvious in retrospect. And I'm excited to see what it is. But for now, I just live with confirmation that it's coming without explanation of what it's going to look like. Megan, I love your faith. I just want to say that. Well, thank you. And to have the faith that, you know, we know that we don't know all the answers, but answers are coming. Mm-hmm. And the more we, we seek and ask and pray, the more answers will come. And maybe those answers will, will surprise us in joyous ways. I think in answer to circling back to your question, Ben, I think I didn't waste a lot of years because it was building the understanding that I can, I can trust God. I can trust his love for me and I don't have to see what things are going to look like to know they're going to be good and it's all going to work for my good and it's going to come out of love and I will be happy. So, you know, if, if I, if I couldn't admit the truth of this to myself until I had that knowledge, then, then that was time well spent. I love that. Thank you so much, Megan. And thank you so much for sharing your heart and your story and, you know, for your courage to follow the promptings you've received. So thank you for all that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram or Facebook at Questions from the Closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time.